Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Talk Show. Merry belated Christmas, everyone. Free money, the gift that just keeps on giving. We are 9-0 in the past three weeks. Absolute heater. So we're going to ring in the new year right. Hopefully this week we got another three coming for you in just a little bit. But uh, we got a lot to talk about. It, uh, it was a big football week. Uh, in the NFL world, and one of the bigger stories uh, on Christmas was the uh, debacle that was Baker Mayfield's performance. He had the golden sombrero and interceptions upon coming back from injury in uh, Lambeau Field in a game that the defense really for the Browns played well enough to win that game. They, they, they probably should have won. Everyone was complaining about the holding call on the, the last play of the game. It's like, well, you know, don't turn the ball over four times, and then you, maybe you wouldn't be in that situation. And once was in the red zone, too. They could have at least came away. They're in Packers territory with at least three points. But uh, it's really been igniting a, a debate that we've had on the podcast in the past was the whole Odell Beckham versus Baker Mayfield. Whose fault was it really? And I always stood by the fact that Baker Mayfield is better off without Odell Beckham Jr. Like, if you look at the numbers, he just played better without him. And now you look at... He's passed a couple games and he's playing poorly. And Odell's caught a couple touchdown passes with Matt Stafford. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, see, it wasn't, it wasn't Odell's problem. Like, no. He was a the problem. There's a reason they traded him. Like, if he wasn't the problem, they wouldn't have gotten rid of him. I mean, come on now. The, the, the Baker's poor play has been more about is the shoulder injury than anything else. And nothing new with Odell. Nothing, like, it's, it's, it's clearly the shoulder. Like, and you heard it in the broadcast, too. Troy, or, um, Troy Aikman talking about it. It's like, even though it's his left shoulder, like, you can see. He's not getting as much torque on it. A lot of his throws are sailing low because of it. Like, it, it's tough playing quarterback with a shoulder injury. And you look at what Baker Mayfield's done in his last 47 games prior to injuring that shoulder against the Houston Texans. Uh, it's been a pretty pronounced decline. Like, you, you can see, like, the dip pre-shoulder injury and then post-shoulder uh, injury. Like, people say, oh, he's making excuses. Like, it's not. Because before that happened... He completed nearly 63% of his passes, a 2-to-1 uh, to touchdown-to-interception ratio. He'd thrown for almost 12,000 yards. His yards per attempt averaged over, uh, at the time, would be in the top 15. He, he was still in the top 10 in uh, terms of yards per attempt this year. And many of those games, before he hurt the, injured the shoulder, when he's putting up all these good numbers, included Hugh Jackson... And Freddie Kitchens is the primary flame call, play caller. And like we saw how both of those worked out. Freddie Kitchens still looking for a job. So there's a lot of bumbling going on in the coaching staff when he's putting up these good numbers. And he had more touchdowns and yards than Russell Wilson over that time frame with a slightly lower quarterback rating. So like you can blame, like, oh, you know, it's because Odell. Like, no, it's because of the shoulder, what we're seeing, what we're seeing right now. And look, do I think Baker's limited? Absolutely. Like, he's not the most athletic in the world. He needs a lot of things to go right for him to perform well. But, like, you can win a lot of games with Baker Mayfield if he's healthy. And, you know, I actually, I give him credit for the fact that, despite it's a contract year, because, you know, he wants to get paid in franchise quarterback. Big money. You know, shoulder injury, he knows it's bothering him. He could easily just sit it out and be like, ah, I'm not going to play. But he's a competitor. He wants to get out there for his team and try and help him the best he can. And so I, I, I give him a lot of credit for going out there, putting his body on the line, knowing he's not 100%, and knowing that the poor play could cost him money in free agency when he gets there, when it comes down to the decision. So he's trying to gut it out. He wants to be out there. So he is a competitor. I'll appreciate that. So I, everyone wants to, you know, oh, it's, it's because he lost. No. It's because of the shoulder injury. That's why he's playing poorly. And people say, oh, it's, it's just making an excuse. Like, no, it's not. Like, you try playing quarterback with a shoulder injury. Like, you know. 
You have a Hall of Fame quarterback telling you on the Fox broadcast, like, yeah, the shoulder thing is clearly bothering him. You look at his numbers pre and post surgery, like, it's right there. Two to one touchdown interception ratio beforehand. Better numbers than more yards and touchdowns than Russell Wilson. So, I mean, you tell me. And that, that's with a good run game, too. And he still had more yards and touchdowns with them. He can win games with Baker Mayfield. And honestly, I think at this point with the Browns, they're in a situation where they've never had a good franchise quarterback before. So they're probably going to pay him regardless. But Which, you know, I wouldn't fault him for it. Like, could you do better than Baker? Yeah. Like, you need a, you need everything to go right. Is he, like, a, a great quarterback? No. I'm not putting him in the top 10 anywhere. He's borderline, like, top 15. But if everything's going right, you can win games with him. And the poor play as of late, it's because of injury. Like, don't get it twisted. Speaking of quarterbacks, and... You know, <laughs> I hate to keep talking Bears each week, but they, they just keep frustrating you on a weekly basis. This week they played the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. It was a winter wonderland. It looked like uh, someone turned on the Madden settings and the snow mode in Seattle because it didn't look, didn't look like Seattle. It was only the fourth time in NFL history there's been snow in Seattle. And Nick Foles played a solid game. He led the Bears to a victory. And it brings up the point that's very frustrating. Uh, why? Did they sign Andy Dalton this offseason? And I have a theory on that because after the game, he spoke quite candidly. He's like, yeah, I like it in Chicago. There's a reason I haven't requested a trade. Um, and they asked him about earlier in Cleveland. They uh, they saw him on the sidelines. And the Bears were getting absolutely waxed by the Cleveland Browns. And they panned over to the sideline. You can see him about the, like, the offense isn't working. And so they asked him about it. And he's like, he owned up to it. He's like, yeah, I said it. At the time, it wasn't working. So it leads you to believe now because, like, you saw what he could do. And now, mind you, do you want Nick Bowles to be your starting quarterback? No. Like, he's a backup in this league at this point. A very good backup. Like, that's this. That's his role. Do I want to go riding in every game? No. Especially after what you saw. You saw last year what he did as a starting quarterback. But what's so frustrating about that is, look at, because they spent an extra $10 million on Andy Dalton. And I'm going to show you a blind resume here. QB1, QB2. Here's the blind last May. The past three seasons. So not including the past three seasons before for this year. So QB1, 64.7 completion percentage, 1,852 yards, 10 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and 80.8 rating. That was last year. QB2, 64.9 completion percentage. So very similar. 0.2% higher. More yards, 2,170 yards, 14 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and 87.3 rating. So close, but pretty simple. 2019, 65.8 for QB1, 65.8 completion percentage, an 84.6 rating. QB2, 59.5 completion percentage, a 78.3 rating. So QB1 a little bit higher in that aspect, so it evens out both of them the same. Uh, 2018, uh, QB1, 72.3 completion percentage, uh, and a 96 rating. QB2, 61.9 completion percentage, 89.6 rating. So QB1, higher quarterback rating in two of the three years, higher completion standards in two of the three years, and the one year with the, the yards, it was pretty close, interception touchdown-wise. Last six games for both these quarterbacks. QB1, six touchdowns, five interceptions. QB number two, six touchdowns, six interceptions. If you haven't figured it out already, that's Nick Foles and Andy Dalton's numbers, like the past couple of years. They're basically the same player. You paid an extra $10 million for the same player. Why would you do that, yes? Because these coaches. They got big egos. Bad Nagy, he's got an ego. He's got an offense. That's his baby. 
Nick Foles, I think, and what you saw in there in the Cleveland game last year, he spoke up saying, like, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, the offense isn't working. Nagy didn't like that pushback. He wants someone that's going to come in there, blindly follow the offense, and that's why Nick Foles is relegated to a third-string quarterback this year, and they spent an extra $10 million on a quarterback they didn't need when they have other needs to address, such as the offensive line, secondary issues. That's why. That's just the definition of a bumbling franchise, and you wonder why Peters fans want Matt Nagy. Like, that's why, right there. Because the offense, that doesn't work. He's like, oh, no, no, it still works. We're gonna, so we're going to get someone that's going to follow it because Nick Foles showed some leadership and spoke up and said, this isn't working. This is what we should do. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. Oh, you dare question my authority? That is what happened. I, I think, like, good God. It is just, it, it never ends. The circus over there in Hallis Hall. <laughs> like, you look at the numbers, like, it's the same player. Especially if you knew you were going to trade up and draft a quarterback. Like, come on now. But now the Bears can boast. They have the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you got probably got the best backup quarterback in the NFL. So congratulations. Look what that got you. From best third string, too. I mean, like, I remember going to the first preseason game. The Bears had against the Dolphins in, like, the fourth quarter. It's usually, like, the Dolphins trotted out some scrub that I'm pretty sure got cut, like, a couple weeks later. He's bagging groceries right now, probably. And the Bears have a Super Bowl MVP in Andy Dol- or, um, and Nick Foles coming out in the fourth quarter. It's like, what the hell? He should not be here right now. But, yeah, wasting money. Players you don't need. Because he spoke up. That is my theory. I, we don't know if it's like, I think it is. Like, he means it's a Super Bowl MVP. So, just, just constant buffoonery over there. College football playoff tomorrow. Big, a lot of couple big games here. I, Michigan, Georgia, I think that's going to be a dogfight. Those are two very good teams. Georgia's defense trying to bounce back because that's Kirby Smart's project over the last couple years was care, carefully crafting that defense, recruiting players to fit the mold. And it was mostly a master class in defense and then Alabama undid it with all w- one game in the SEC championship. So now there's question marks going around. So uh, that's going to be very good defense. John Harbaugh, meanwhile, uh, Jim Harbaugh, I should say, redemption tour for uh, him, and you know he's trying to show that the, the Michigan belongs. I think it's another very good defense. I saw him play against Nebraska this year. They can run the ball. Quarterback that doesn't turn it over much. Those are two evenly matched teams. I'm going Michigan with that one. Um, I think SEC slightly overrated. I, I like Michigan in, in that game, but you know the real one that I'm really intrigued to watch is the uh, Alabama Cincinnati game. Because it's the first time in the college football playoff they have not let a power five in. Like yeah, the UCFs of the world. Claiming their national championships because they beat um, Auburn and everyone, you know, kind of discredited them. And uh, last year, Cincinnati put up a, a really good fight against Georgia in their bowl game. So now, you know, the committee finally let in begrudgingly a Cincinnati team. Like it took them a while to put them even in the top four when they were undefeated, even after they beat Notre Dame in uh, South Bend. It, it took a while. So there is a tremendous amount of pressure on Cincinnati in this game just for the future of the non-Power Fives because they want to show they belong with the big boys, which they believe they do. And if you watch them this year, they did. I think they do as well. But if they come out and get rolled by Alabama, which is a good chance they will. Like you saw what Nick Saban with prep time did against Georgia in that great defense. And their Heisman winning quarterback there picked him apart. So just imagine, because it's kind of like a wild card with what you're going to get with Cincinnati. But if that happens, they get rolled. You know, they're going to get the SEC bias committee is going to do for the next couple of years. Do you think they're going to let another Power Five in? It's a non-Power Five in. It's undefeated. No, this is the trial run for the rest of the teams that aren't in a Power Five conference 
for the playoff for years to come. Cincinnati may or may not know it. There is a tremendous amount of pressure for them if any other Power 5 team wants to get in cracking the top four. And then they might expand the playoffs. But even then, if they're expanding the playoff, who are they going to give the benefit of the doubt to? They're going to give it to another SEC team. So if they, they get embarrassed out there and rolled, just be ready for a whole lot of SEC teams in that expanded playoff. Like They think it's going to be good for the little guy? No. So, good luck to Cincinnati. I hope they keep it close. They don't even have to win. As long as they can play a competitive game and keep it close, then that, that, that show, show that you belong would be demonic for them. So, we'll see. It's going to be tough. And even if they do get rolled, can you really blame them? I mean, Alabama, if you look at these past couple of years, like most of these games and the, these playoffs have not been close. I think the average point differential in a lot of these games, between the one and the four team, it's over 25 points. So, I mean, they would just be joining the club, which is if you look at the, the point differential, like the gap between the one and the four. But, uh, you know, the, 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 you know how these committees work, and especially down south, heavily biased towards these SEC teams. They got to show that they belong. A lot of pressure on them. Coming in tomorrow. We'll see what they can do. We'll see what they can do. NBA-wise, you know, I just want to do it to this really quick. I went, to, I went to a Bulls game over the past weekend playing the Pacers. The Bulls are exciting. Like, we always knew they were an exciting team, but, like, I think that's a legitimate contending team. Like, because they're missing they're two of their best defenders and their starting point guard, Alonzo Ball. They're rattling off a five-game win streak. And then you're missing your arguably your best perimeter defender, Alex Caruso. Still dominating. DeMar Rosen should be in the MVP conversation right now. And I, I have my doubts, like a lot of people, how well he would fit with Zach Levine, but the two really match. Like, you, you can come up with a better one-two scoring duo in the, in the NBA right now. You can't. They both should be all-stars. They should both be starting in the all-star game this year. Bulls are legit. I think they can, and my prediction was second-round exit. Now, that's a, they, they, can, they, can, they can go to the conference finals. I mean, they have a big game against Brooklyn coming up in these next couple weeks. But you don't know what you're getting with Kyrie. You know, he's in or out, and you know he's, he's only playing road games right now. So chemistry-wise, it's going to take a while. I think I think this Bulls team, they're legit. Now, what, are they going to win the NBA Finals? No, I don't think so. I think the Suns and the Warriors are still outclassing them in that department. But the Bulls are legit this year. All right. Before we get into free money, uh, we lost a legend this week in, in John Madden. And all you need to know about him, I mean, even the people that weren't alive to appreciate him, his broadcasting and um, coaching career, is the fact that the name Madden is going to be forever synonymous with football fans and video game fans because of that video game franchise. It's just the lasting legacy he's made on the sport in general. So, in honor of John Madden, before we get into free money, we're going to go with some interesting John Madden facts you may or may not have known because the guy really had a... Uh, he lived full life. He did it all. So, starting off, John Madden, he was childhood friends with another legendary coach. He was born in Minnesota, which most people don't know, but he grew up in California. Uh, and he lived close to John Robinson, who later went on to coach at USC, and he also was the head coach for the uh, the Rams. And Madden went on to become the seventh coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl in 1976. Robinson compiled an 8-1 and bold record as a coach in college that included a 4-0 record in the Rose Bowl. So, two legendary coaches, they were best friends growing up. He also led the Rams to an NFC Championship uh, game appearances in 1985 and 1989. And Robinson's first Rose Bowl win took just one week before Madden won the Super Bowl inside the same stadium. Also, what most people don't realize, too, is John Madden was an excellent athlete. Uh, he went to Oregon on scholarship in 1954 to play with his friend, Robinson. While he was there, he raced the mile record holder at the time, John Landry, in a 40-yard dash 
and John Madden won the race. He beat a track runner in a 40-yard dash, which is pretty impressive. He later transferred to Cal Poly, and while he was there, he became an all-conference offensive tackle, and he also played catcher on the school's baseball team. So multiple sport athlete right here. Another thing people don't realize, too, is an injury kind of was a blessing in disguise for him when he got drafted, and it kind of sparked his coaching career. He was the 244th overall pick in the 1958 draft by the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, his career kind of ended before he even began. Uh, he suffered a knee injury during training camp, and while he was rehabbing, uh, he was walking through the film room, and he decided to watch film with uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Norm Van Brocklin. Now, Van Brocklin's on the back nine of his career at this point, and uh, Madden said he like called him in. He, he called him ready. He said, hey, Red, come on up here. I'm the only one there. So he's talking really loud. And he sat down with Norm Van Brockman. And they had a, uh, a long film session there. And afterwards, it kind of sparked his interest in coaching. So because of that, and he had all that free time. That's how he got. That's how he got in. He got in coaching a couple years later, and during his coaching career, compiled a 7.59 winning percentage in Oakland. That's the highest percentage in league history among coaches that have won 100 games. And then finally, final interesting fact: uh, Madden, Pat Summerall, they worked uh, eight Super Bowls together, five on CBS. That's the most ever for a broadcast duo. And uh, the run ended by calling a Tom Brady Super Bowl. Uh, it began the first Super Bowl they ever did was calling a Joe Montana Super Bowl uh, in their win, 26-21 win, over the Bengals. That was um, Tom Brady's childhood idol. So he called uh, Joe Montana Super Bowl for his first one, and then his last Super Bowl he ever called was Tom Brady. So kind of cool, arguably the two goats of quarterbacking. All right. There you have it. Uh, Thank you, John Madden, for everything he's done in the football world, and it was a uh, life well lived. Let's get into it. Free money. We are riding a 9-0 hot streak over the three weeks. Let's see if we can keep it rolling, closing out the uh, the year right. All right, we're taking the Steelers over the Browns, plus three and a half. That's a playoff game. Loser, season's over. Steelers got home field advantage, so I expect Heinz Field. It's going to be a towel-waving madhouse. Baker Mayfield talked about him earlier in the show. He's coming off arguably the worst game of his career. He threw a career-high four interceptions while being sacked five times. Now he faces a Steelers defense that ranks fourth with 43 sacks. And as the NFL's sack, uh, leading sack artist, T.J. Watt, who has 17 and a half quarterback sacks this year. So, you know, what's good for an injured shoulder, shoulder and a quarterback coming off a bad game? A lot of pressure in your face. And Mayfield's been sacked at least four times in his last four regular season games against the Steelers. And most of those came when he had a healthy offensive line. The Browns have one of the best offensive lines in football. Right now, they are banged up. The Browns are missing three O-line starters, uh, including both tackles. So you have that against T.J. Watt. He should be feasting in this one against that banged-up team. Uh, and Mayfield's had a sub-80 quarterback rating in four of his last five games. Once again, also due partly to the injury. So uh, as long as they can stop the run, they can hone in on that. They're, they're going to struggle. Najee Harris, meanwhile, for the Steelers, he's put up 90-plus uh, yards in two of his last three games and a 4.7 uh, yards per uh, carry in two of his last three. So he's running well. Big Ben, this might be his last home game in Heinz Field. In all likelihood, it will against the Browns on a Monday night game. I mean, he's going to be balling out. I think that play is going to be a madhouse. Three and a half at home. In a game, a team they've already beaten once this year. Playoffs on the line. You got a good head coach with a Hall of Fame quarterback. I just, I see the Steelers covering in this one against the Browns. I probably, I actually see him winning straight up too. So, But uh, if you want to take the little cushion with the three and a half, hammer the Steelers in that one. 
Uh, next, take the Dolphins over the Titans. Dolphins made a little history last week. They became the first team to have a six-game losing streak and a six-game winning streak in the same season. Uh, but they have turned it around. They're playing some of the best football. Now, mind you, last week they, they played a banged-up uh, Saints team. Everyone had COVID. Ian Book was starting. So you knew it was going to be a disaster. But this Dolphins team, I mean, you look at the roster. They, they were better than the record indicated at 1-6, and six, and I think now it's starting to show because they have a lot of defensive pieces from last year. On offense, two is playing pretty well. you really, you got to like Devontae Parker. Jalen Waddle's finding his form. Mike Gusecki's one of the most underrated tight ends in football. So this is a team with a lot of weapons. And they're playing for a playoff spot. Both these teams, this is a crucial game for them. And you're getting three points here. So it should really be called the Dolphins versus the Fighting A.J. Browns because A.J. Brown, since uh, Henry went down, he's been their entire offense at this point. And he's going to have a tough matchup against Xavier Howard. Uh, so it's going to make things tougher on him. And the, the Dolphins' secondary is really good this year. They're only allowing a 83.7 rating to opposing quarterbacks. That's the sixth best in the NFL. And 6.9 yards per attempt, which is 10th best. So... Uh, Tannehill's going to have trouble throwing the ball. He's had a bit of a turnover problem, too, his past couple games. Meanwhile, the Dolphins' pass rush, they have 45 sacks. That's the most in the NFL. And they also lead the league in quarterback hits. So they're gonna, And they're going to be facing a Titans O-line, which has allowed 45 sacks. That is tied for the 29th worst in the NFL. So it's a perfect storm getting after Tannehill. It's going to make it tough for him to throw. I don't think Tua is going to be coughing it up as much as Jimmy G did last week. He's coming off. He passed the test against a very tough Saints secondary last week. He threw for a score with a 91.5 rating. Uh, you know, I think the the Titans secondary and defense overall, they're not as good as the Saints. Tua looked good in that one. So I think, it'll look, I think that he can do enough there. They got enough weapons. Uh, the defense is playing well. A well-coached team. They need this win to make the playoffs. So there's a lot of motivation, and you're getting points. What is not to like? So Dolphins plus three. Finally, this one's kind of a crapshoot one. Like last week, our crapshoot game was the Jets-Jaguars uh, one. It panned out. So there's another battle of mediocrity here. Um, I'm taking the Bears minus five and a half over the Giants at home. Bears really, at this point, they're not playing for draft positions. They have no reason to tank. And if you look at the defense, they've played hard over the past couple weeks. Uh, the, the defense has actually played very well. They're getting some people off COVID uh, reserves. Uh, Allen Robinson should be back on the offensive side of things. Uh, and the Giants have just looked terrible. And if anything, I mean, yeah, they, 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 they've looked bad. Um, so Robert Quinn, 17 sacks this season. No one can figure him out. He's been an absolute beast. The Giants have allowed 31 sacks this year. Rounds out to about two per game, so Quinn's going to get his chances. And then you look at their best weapon, Saquon Barkley. He hasn't been able to do anything this year. You look at his fantasy point. I think he had two points fantasy-wise last week because he hasn't been able to get anything going. Roquan Smith, he has 149 tackles. He's been a great run stopper. I think that's going to help limit what Roquan can do on the offensive side. And their quarterbacking has been terrible. I, they, they had Mike Glennon, the neck himself, uh, who got benched for Jake Fromm. And then Jake Fromm played so poorly. I think he only had 47 yards, a couple picks mixed in there. Replaced by Glennon. Glennon didn't do anything. Like, that offense is terrible. Like, yeah, as much as I make fun of the Bears' bad offense, the Giants, that that is a disaster. On the road, no quarterback, facing a pretty good pass rush. They're coming off a win in Seattle, so they have a little bit of momentum. They're still playing hard. Darnell Mooney, other hand, he has 860 yards. He's closing in on 1,000 for the season. Um, and I don't even, it doesn't even matter which quarterback's playing. I, you would think it'd be Justin Fields, but if he's still nursing that injury, like Nick Foles, 
you know what you're going to get. It's going to be a lot of check downs, but they're not going to make a ton of huge mistakes. So I'm taking the veteran just because of how bad the Giants quarterback situation is. And they're at home. So I think they can win by more than a touchdown. So we shall see. There you have it. Just to recap, take Steelers over the Browns plus three and a half. Dolphins over the Titans plus three. And then the Bears over the Giants are only favorite this week, minus five and a half. And that's more just because of how bad the Giants are than it has anything to do with how good the uh, <laughs> the Bears are. So, but the, the Giants are bad. That, that's bad, betting against that's them, which is which is a safe bet. LeBron James, he had a birthday today, turned thirty-nine. Um. He's played well his last five. He's had over 30 points in almost all of them. And they are 1-5 in, in that stretch. It has been brutal to watch. You look at that team, it's been a retirement home. And a lot of it could be blamed on Russell Westbrook. Because he's played terribly. He's been a horrible point guard. Like, don't let the numbers fool. He is leading the league in turnovers. Poor decision making. Still chucking up brick shooting wise. And a lot of them are like uncostly turned. Like you watch him dribble. His hands are not very good. He's just kind of like, he looks like a baby giraffe there sometimes when he's driving to the hole. He's flailing all over the place. It's a bad turnovers. Like he's not been what they've needed at the point guard situation at all. But can you really blame that on Russell Westbrook? Because like that's what he was beforehand. Like that's like the other day. Well, I was was on a uh, was going out with my girlfriend, and we wanted like you know mini golf. We wanted to go mini golf. So that's like oh you know mini golf one. We went to this place called like Putt Shack. Now, had I have done my research beforehand, I would have known they only get nine holes for what they're paying for, which isn't all that great because I you know I'm trying to get you know trying to play mini golf. The drinks are expensive as hell, the food's expensive, and there's a long wait time. All I would have had to do is look at the website and be like oh yeah you know what this ain't it. I didn't do my research, so they, you know, they agreed. And then, sure enough, burnt a hole in my wallet, waiting a while. You only get nine holes. That is exactly what Russell Westbrook, if you, they just done their research on him and looked at what he'd done over his past years, this is the type of player Russell Westbrook is. Turns the ball over a lot, plays hard, sporadic, a lot of unforced errors, poor shooter, which is what he's been this year, which is what he's always been. That is not what the Lakers needed. They needed some shooting. They could have gotten Buddy healed. They chose to go with Russell Westbrook. All they had to do was do a little research. So can you blame Westbrook because he's been what he's been all of his career? Also, note lack of self-awareness, which is he's always had. Like, if you look at him in Oklahoma City, fourth quarter, he's trying to take over for Kevin Durant, and they gave him a ton of protection. Very little self-awareness. The quote that really got me, he was like, oh, well, you know, people expect me to get 25, 15, and 15. That's just not normal. It's like, no, they don't. They expect you to be a sufficient point guard that doesn't turn it over and can help take some of the load off the run. And so he's giving the Lakers exactly what they paid for, and that is not what they needed. And that's partly on LeBron for not doing his research and putting together this retirement home of a team. Because, like, in year 19 of the league, he should be having to do carrying less of the load, and he's carrying more of it, I think, he ever has since his Cleveland days. Like, it is just a mess over there. That team stinks. They stink. They're going to weasel their way into the playoffs because that conf- the West conf- Western Conference isn't very deep. So they'll get, like, a, an 8 or 9 seed and then get humiliated in the first round or so. But that it, they they got to do something quick. Because Westbrook has been a detriment to that team. But, it's, I mean, it's really not his fault. This is what he's been all of his career. This is what you get for not doing your research. Had they done the research, they would have seen this is what Russell Westbrook is. 
It's too bad. It's too bad. They're wasting a good year from LeBron, too. Anthony Davis. Another thing, too, Anthony Davis. Street clothes, as Charles Barkley calls them. He's been completely unreliable. Which is another thing, too, research-wise. If you look at what he was in uh, New Orleans, he wasn't very consistent there, either. He was always hurt in New Orleans, too. They're getting this alpha score. I mean, he, he didn't play much in New Orleans. And then, sure enough, comes to L.A., doesn't play much here either. So, I, that, that whole thing's a mess. They, they should be better than what they are. But, I mean, you notice, too, like, during the offseason, when they added Russell Westbrook, and everyone was criticizing for it. They're like, this is going to be an old team. They are not going to be very good. And Brown's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to remember all this criticism when the season started. Like, everyone seemed to know where this was headed. Except for him, which is why I hope he does not follow Michael Jordan's footsteps after he retires and becomes an owner or a general manager because he stinks. He does not know how to construct a roster. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Like you saw Michael Jordan. You think Michael Jordan was bad as a GM, which he is too, and an owner. It's gonna be even worse with LeBron. I, I beg you, LeBron, do not, do not become a GM after you retire. Sheesh. That is uh. That's all we have for you. So, remember, Hammer, Bears, minus five and a half. Dolphins, plus three. Steelers, plus three and a half. Good football coming up this weekend. Enjoy the college football playoff. Uh, that should be exciting uh, as well. Uh, yeah, that's all we have for you. I'm Mr. Kaminsky. Enjoy your football weekend and a happy new year. Today's episode is brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk, your top source for all major sports content, including DFS, fantasy advice, and great gambling tips. Be sure to head to primetimesportstalk.com to check out their in-depth analysis, exclusive articles, fascinating interviews, and explore the rest of their amazing podcast family. Again, primetimesportstalk.com, your go-to spot for sports content.